Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Hi, I'm Heather from the Left Behind Podcast. You're listening to Dark Poutine, a podcast about Canada's creepier side, with hosts Mike and Scott. Thanks to Heather from the Left Behind Podcast for that intro. We'll link to your show in our show notes. Yeah, Heather's from Nova Scotia, too. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me, as usual, is my good friend, co-host, sound guy, and actual toque wearer, Scott Hemingway. Yeah, I am today wearing a toque. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Say hello, Scott. Hello, Scott. Uh, okay. Yeah, lame. Let's get to it. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish, as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes. Listener discretion is strongly advised. What you are about to hear most likely took place in Canada, but if not, it will include Canadians. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. If you're looking for impeccable research and well-written content, CBC News or Globe and Mail might be a better bet. (laughs) Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Welcome to episode 15 of Dark Poutine. Gilbert Paul Jordan was a serial killer from Vancouver who used alcohol as a weapon. Have you heard of him, Scott? Nope, not until this podcast. Interesting. Yeah. Jordan is alleged to have murdered at least nine women and attempted to kill another four between the years of 1965 and late 1987. Most of his crimes took place between 80 and 87. Mm. Well, most of these crimes, we'll see, he did a lot more. Mm-hmm. He was only ever charged with one murder, and that was his last victim, Vanessa Lee Buckner. This is the story of the boozing barber. Gilbert Paul Jordan was born Gilbert Paul Elsie on December 12, 1931, to Winifred and Jack Elsie. He changed his last name to Jordan in 65. He preferred to be called Paul over Gilbert, because Gilbert's kind of nerdy, I guess. Yep. His mother, Winifred, was a tough-minded sales clerk. His dad, Jack, worked as a railway man, bus driver, and conductor, and later become a banker. And uh, Jordan had an interest in finance himself, which we'll also talk about later on. Uh, Jordan and his older brother, Bud, were still children when their parents broke up. The brothers lived with Jack in Vancouver on McDonald Street so the boys could stay in familiar surroundings. Jack quickly remarried, and he and his new wife had another son named Robert. Winifred remained in the boys' lives. She was also remarried to a man she'd met in Victoria, and she lived on the island, too. 
Jordan's brother said that there was no physical or sexual abuse in their home, nor are we aware of any specific neglect. I dug around and it's really hard to find anything about this guy's childhood. Mm. So we don't know why he became the thing that he did, but he was a, definitely a thing. Yep. So neither of Jordan's brothers ever got into trouble or have any evident history of drug or alcohol abuse. Jordan did, though. Around 70% of serial killers have a family history of substance abuse. Jordan himself was an alcoholic, so it follows that there may have been a history of alcoholism in his family, perhaps a generation or two removed. Neither of his parents were alcoholic. Interesting. Yeah. Jordan, who was an antisocial, had a tough time making friends and was short and stocky. Some of his schoolmates called him Chubb or Chubby. Well, that'll do it right there. Well, I mean, they called me Beaver Cleaver and Woodchuck because I had buck teeth. What? I have not killed anybody that I'm aware of. <laughs> I think you'd be aware. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't see these buck teeth anymore? No. Adam fixed. Oh. Yeah. Did you just, like, get a file? No, mom and dad. Oh, they got a file. <laughs> it was a hammer. <laughs> No braces. By 16 years old, Jordan was an alcoholic and had dropped out of high school. He drank daily to maintain his buzz. He was also known to go on booze-soaked benders lasting for days. Hmm. Gilbert Paul Jordan's criminal record dated back to July of 1950 when he was 18. His first conviction was for the theft of a car, for which he received a 12-month sentence. So we're off to a good start. Yeah. We're just an adult, and now we're in jail. Yeah. Fantastic. Get get started. Not all of his crimes before the murders were petty. In 1961, an RCMP officer found a five-year-old girl of indigenous heritage with Jordan in his car at a local gravel pit. And there's no word of what was going on in that car, but... Jordan was charged with abduction, but he was not convicted. The court stayed the proceedings in May 1961. Interesting. Just after Christmas that year, Jordan drove to the middle of the Lionsgate Bridge, left his car, climbed onto a ladder on one of the bridge towers, where he threatened to jump. Traffic was snarled for hours. Now, North and West Vancouverites dread hearing police incident on uh, on the radio when they're coming to or you know leaving work yep because there's only two ways into into vancouver it's either lion's gate or the second arrows bridge so if if there's a jumper on one everybody's going to the other but uh, at this point the second arrows bridge was not open it didn't open till 1968 so mm. this was the only way to north van so the commuters were probably pretty pissed with yeah, this guy i guess far less traffic than there is nowadays but yeah like you Second, you start hearing about. Uh, I remember working at my old desk. I had a good view of the Lionsgate Bridge. Yeah, and you could tell if something was going on because it like just traffic. You would not be seeing traffic moving. Yeah, it could exactly. be like that for hours. So uh, eventually, his criminal attorney arrived on scene and talked him down off the bridge. Jordan didn't jump. Very sad about that. Tragic. On March 3rd of 1962, Jordan lured a pair of women from Vancouver's downtown east side into his car. He had booze, and he knew they wanted in on it, and he wanted them. Mm. He probably thought that was a fair trade. Uh, Jordan loved drunken sex, and it's said that he was drinking as much as 50 ounces of vodka a day, even when he was working. Damn. I don't know. I don't know how, how anybody can actually do that. No. 
Jordan drove the pair to Coal Harbor, uh, and I guess Coal Harbor wasn't the nice place that it is right now. I think mm. it was all like more industrial at the it, time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, they drank vodka in his car there. Uh, when one woman got out of the car to be sick, Jordan sped off, leaving the woman stranded. But her purse was in the car, and so was her friend, the oh, other woman. No. Uh, I guess one is easier to manage than two. Sure. So it was alleged that Jordan drove to North Vancouver and raped the remaining woman. On April 6th, 1962, Jordan was appearing in North Vancouver to be charged relating to the theft of the stranded woman's purse and the rape of the other. As the charges were being read, Jordan raised his arm in a Nazi salute and yelled, Heil Poole. That's the presiding magistrate, Judge Poole. Mm -hmm. Heil Neal, I don't know who that was. I think it was the prosecutor. And Heil Puppeteers, whoever was pulling the strings and out to get this fine upstanding gentleman of excellent repute. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, everybody but him. Yeah, not his fault. No, he's just a, he's a good fellow. He's a pawn. Yeah. Judge Poole was not amused and found Jordan in contempt of court and sentenced him to six months in the slammer on the spot. Good. Jordan was held until his preliminary hearing on the theft and rape case. He was acquitted of the rape charge, most likely due to the combination of intoxication, ethnicity, and perceived character and reliability of the victim. This would be a story throughout. Uh, he was convicted of the theft, however, because I guess that's easier to prove, and he was sentenced to two years in prison. Charming. Yeah, sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. Oh, it's about to get a lot more fun here. Oh, good. So on, on January 6th, uh, 17th, 1965, Jordan picked up an English-born switchboard operator, and her name was Ivy Rose Doreen Oswald. The pair went to a cheap motel where Jordan checked them in for a night of drunken sex. The next morning, Ivy was found nude and dead in the room. Ew. Jordan admitted to having been with Ivy when she died, and he had some of her belongings with him when he was later picked up and questioned by police. An autopsy revealed Ivy's blood alcohol content to be 0.51%. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty high. Yeah. Although Ivy was not known to be a heavy drinker, she had surpassed the 0.31 to 0.45% where death can occur in a case of alcohol poisoning. In fact, uh, typically with a blood alcohol content between 0.16 and 0.30, the average person may lose consciousness. Hmm. So somehow Ivy had kept drinking well past that mark. Hmm, interesting. Inexperienced drinker. Hmm. Yeah, interesting is right. However, Ivy's death was ruled accidental and no charges were filed. A night of hard partying had been a bit too hard. Hmm. Is that their belief? I guess. It was only four days after Ivy's death that Gilbert Paul Elsie applied to have his legal name uh, changed to Gilbert Paul Jordan, uh, which he did. So, I wonder why he did that. Oh, not at all trying to... Uh, Avoid guilt for anything? Yeah. No, of course not. Just uh, he liked the sound of it better. Apparently. It, flew, it, 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 it flows. It flows much better. Yeah. Anyway, a fresh name didn't keep him out of trouble. Over the years, Gilbert Paul Jordan had been convicted nine times for theft and another five for drinking and driving, as well as other things. Mm -hmm. In 1969, he got two drunk driving charges in one day. Yeah, what an upstanding I don't know how you do that. Don't well, they keep I, part 1969. Okay, but 
but still. So you get drunk. Yeah. You get arrested. They just let you out back onto the street that same day, and you go pick up your car where you left it. In in nineteen sixty nine, I don't like. Do, would would they have even arrested you for being for driving drunk? Well, it says that he was you know convicted, and he got two drunk driving charges in in one day. But charges don't mean arrested. Like they could have just you know it like absolutely give means it, arrested. Yeah, like not just a ticket or something. Uh, maybe it was. But that's what like maybe a, it was like a twenty four hour suspension or something. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Anyway, it just keeps getting better for what, this guy. A, he sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. He was charged with lewd acts in a public place in nineteen seventy one, but those charges didn't stick. Of course. Uh, a woman named Ramona Mary married Jordan in Prince George, a rough and tough logging town in northern BC in nineteen seventy two. But due to his constant drunkenness, along with a sharp tongue and propensity for physical abuse, the marriage didn't last. Sounds like a charming fellow to he me. He sounds like such know. a nice man. I, I think he's just misunderstood. I gotta be it. Uh, in 1973, Jordan obtained a charge of indecent <laughs> exposure in Mackenzie, B.C., another logging town. So he's like going showing his wiener or something in in like logging towns well and not, you know not to uh, but bring again, a joke into it i will do it is there is there a good is there a decent exposure like is that what would decent exposure be that's a good question yeah yeah here's my thigh but guess what right. those charges didn't stick wow sensing some patterns yeah in another sexual assault uh charge uh, in 1974, surprisingly, we get a conviction. And Jordan goes to jail. Hmm, good. Is he going to jail for a long time for rape? 50 years. Two. Oh. Two years less a day. That's substantially less than 50. <laughs> substantially. After a string of charges of a sexual nature and some other convictions, the Crown attempted to have Jordan declared a dangerous sexual offender. Well, this sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, it sounds like the right direction. His lawyers fought hard, and Jordan managed to avoid the designation that may have kept him in prison for a much longer period. Mm. A year later, Jordan was paroled from jail again, but right back in after kidnapping and raping a mentally impaired woman from a local mental hospital. jeez. Yeah, so he likes people who uh, can't fight back, clearly. Yeah, this guy's yeah. a coward, a piece yeah. of shit. Uh his previous behavior, arrests, and convictions were overlooked during the trial, and Gilbert Paul Jordan was sentenced to only 26 months behind bars. Mm. Great. Mm -hmm. In 1976, a psychiatrist named Dr. Bezzaretti assessed Jordan on behalf of the courts. Jordan was categorized as having an antisocial personality. No kidding. Yeah. Dr. Bezzaretti uh, defined this as a person whose conduct is maladjusted in terms of social behavior, disregard for the rights of others, which often results in unlawful activities. Yeah, okay. I mean, it sounds a bit on the soft side from what I... But, okay. Yeah. While in jail in Maple Ridge, B.C.'s Haney Correctional Institute, Jordan was learning a trade. He took some haircutting courses, and he learned the trade of barber. He became a barber. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess he needs to do something. So probably just, I'll, I'll cut hair, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the early 80s, right after his release from prison, 
Jordan opened a barber shop at 2503 Kingsway near Slocan in East Vancouver. Oh. It's still kind of a scuzzy area. Right across the street from a church's chicken that uh, I actually drove by moments after it had been robbed. <laughs> and there were police police everywhere there. I was coming home from work one night. Uh, I was working a late shift downtown and driving by and there was there were police everywhere around the church's chicken. Apparently, it had, there'd been an armed robbery there. Are there not better locations to rob them? But right across the street, that's where uh, the Boozing Barber's Barbershop used oh, to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a ballet school now. I wonder if the current occupants have any idea of its dark history. Uh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Little kids in there doing ballet and doing stuff. pirouettes, not knowing yeah. the occupant. Yep. Previous occupant. Jordan would invite women to his shop to drink and party. He'd get them liquored up and he'd steal from them. He'd steal their jewelry and stuff. And apparently then he would uh, sell it in the front window the next day. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like, uh, I don't have it. I don't have it. Here it is. It's for sale. But would you like to buy it? (laughs) I don't have it. Yeah, exactly. But would you like to buy it? At that time, he, uh, thanks to his father being a banker, he also became interested in the stock market and investing. And invest he did. Hmm. He made a lot of money, too. So he became uh, not only a drunk and a barber and a criminal, he was a rich drunken barber criminal (laughs) and murderer. (laughs) The best kind. Yeah. So he made a ton of money. Mm-hmm. He could supply all the liquor he wanted to have as much sex as he liked, preying on the desperate, down-on-their-luck women uh, from the downtown east side. Many of them were of indigenous heritage. On November 30th, 1980, Mary Johnson died in Jordan's company at the Aylmer Hotel. Her blood alcohol content was 0.34%. There were no charges. It was ruled accidental death. Barbara Paul, also partying with Gilbert Paul Jordan, this time at the Glenaird Hotel, died with a blood alcohol content of 0.41% on September 11, 1981. So that's that's three, mm-hmm. including the lady in 1965. But no charges, accidental death. Of course. On July 30th, 1982, Mary Johns was the first to die while drinking with Jordan at his Kingsway Barbershop. Her blood alcohol content was a whopping 0.76%. Good God. So remember, like, you're passed out between 0.16 and 0.30. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's the average person. Apparently, I am told that alcoholics can actually have this elevated blood alcohol content, but again, no charges, accidental death. In 1983... Maria Elvira married Jordan for four months. Again, drunkenness, physical abuse led to the demise of that marriage. Maria got out alive, filing to, for divorce after catching Jordan with another woman at their home. Hmm. Nice fellow. Yeah. <sighs> Ethics are a big thing for him. Yeah. In 1984, on December 15th, Patricia Thomas was found dead at the barbershop after another of Jordan's parties. Her blood alcohol content was 0.51%. Guess what? No charges. Accidental death. No, of course. Of course. On June 29th, 1985, Patricia Andrew was also found dead at Jordan's Barbershop with an astonishing blood alcohol content of 0.79%. That's almost 10 times what is considered legally impaired. Wow. Yeah. 
But no charges. Accidental death. Absolutely. So Jordan had been in trouble for some other things, and at this time he told the court that he was trying to turn his life around. Alcohol got the blame. It was Booz's fault that he was involved in the things he was, criminally and otherwise, and uh, he said he was going to stop drinking. But did he stop? Yeah. No. Oh. He did not. Jordan met 27-year-old Vanessa Lee Buckner at a local beer parlor. Uh, Jordan and Ms. Buckner checked into the Niagara Hotel at 435 West Pender Street. They drank all night and they had sex. Jordan left Vanessa dead and naked on the floor of the hotel room and went back to his room at the Marble Arch. That's an old strip club in Vancouver uh, where he kept a room. He called in the death, uh, but not before he got good and drunk again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanessa Buckner was not known to be a heavy drinker, yet her blood alcohol content was an unbelievable 0.91%. My goodness, that's hard to believe, right? That's extreme. Yep. So the VPD questioned Jordan as usual, but this time they put him under surveillance. Seven women had died in his company, and I guess that's too many now. Oh, yeah. You know, they have a limit. I guess. There's a threshold where they're like, okay, okay. Seven women have died. I think we better have a good look at this yeah. guy. Let's start looking into this fella. Yeah. Overdose deaths are common on the downtown east side, but there isn't usually a common denominator like this one in the way of the companion that these women had. Yeah. I. Yeah. This, yeah. The boozing barber. And like the, a lot of the uh, hotels and everything that were mentioning, this area is regarded as one of the... Uh, uh, most unfortunate in North America. In it's, the it, world. Yeah, really. Yeah. 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 It, it's 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 a, uh, a place where victims can be easily taken advantage of. Absolutely. It's the poorest postal yeah. code in Canada. Yeah. It's a really, really... In, in one of the richest cities in Canada, yeah. we have also the poorest postal code. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very tragic place. Yeah. Yeah. I was just down there yesterday going to a concert. Yeah. Oh, you were at the rickshaw. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's a great place for a show. I love it. But uh, the outside of it is not so great. Anyway, uh, so the cops were tailing Jordan now. Surprise. Mm. Um, I won't get into too many of the details, but uh, they had to break into rooms four times to rescue women that Jordan was drinking with. Oh, wow. So on November 20th, 1987 at the Balmoral Hotel... uh, Rosemary Wilson was rescued by police with a blood alcohol content of 0.52%. Verna Chartrand, on November 21st, a day later, uh, at the Pacific Hotel with a blood alcohol content of 0.43%. Sheila Joe on November 25th, uh, at the Rainbow, and we don't know how much she had drunk. And Mabel Olson, another day later, on the 26th of November, at the Pacific again. Uh, the police recorded conversations with Jordan coaxing women to drink more by promising them money and and trying to, you know, cajole them into mm. drinking more. Okay. And so this is taken from uh, a case. Uh, it's R or Regina versus uh, Jordan. Uh, Regina means the crown in Canada. And the case is 010079. And here we go. 
While listening outside hotel room doors, the accused was heard to say to various women such things as, Have a drink down the hatch, baby. Twenty bucks if you get it right down. See if you're a real woman. Finish that drink. Finish that drink down the hatch. Hurry right down. You need another drink? I'll give you fifty bucks if you can take it. I'll give you ten, twenty, fifty dollars, whatever you want. Come on, I want to see you get it all down. Get it right down. I'll give you 50 bucks and that's 13 bucks. I'll give you 50 bucks. I told you that. If you finish, I'll give you $75. Finish your drink. I'll give you 20, etc., etc. Well, your voice of this predator sounds eerily familiar to mine currently. Yeah, (laughs) you are not, as far as I know, a predator. No. But, you know, like, uh, here... I think that this guy was getting these women... I think he was a necrophiliac. Yeah. I think he was getting these women drunk to the point of almost being dead. And he didn't care whether they died or not. And he could do whatever he wanted to them. Like yep. like Jeffrey Dahmer and yep. his, his victims in yep. his way. And this is what I think this guy was up to. And whether the, why on earth the police were the way they were. I mean, we get into it a little bit later on. But... Uh, I'm just astonished by this case. It it is uh, quite uh, incredible to hear, and I, I think you're right. He wanted, uh, he clearly wanted unconscious women. Yeah, like it, it's. Uh, they couldn't tell him no. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like uh, what was it? Uh, the little guy who used to be on The Voice, CeeLo Green. Yeah, him. Yeah. He he would say, "Well, if they can't tell you no, it's not rape." Yeah. Oh God, did he, he actually, say that? He actually oh, did say disgusting. that. Disgusting. And and I and you can kind of start to understand when you're hearing these conversations how because you, when you hear like these extreme blood alcohol content levels, totally. you're kind of like, well. Like, my God, like, did he use a funnel or something? But you can understand why he had to be pouring it down their throats, like, literally. Yes, but also you can very much imagine when he's trying to, he's, like, pressuring it. Come on, 20 bucks, 50 bucks. You can imagine if he's, like, guzzle the whole thing. I'll give you $1,000. Come on, drink it all, drink it all. You know, like, I'm sure he was able to, to coax people into just chugging down extreme amounts. Yep. Well, they gave up tailing him after six weeks. Really? Yep. And only three days after they stopped tailing him on November 29th, 1987, the naked body of Edna Shade was found in a room at the Glenaird Hotel. She'd been in the company of Gilbert Jordan. His fingerprints were found on a bottle of vodka at the scene. An empty bottle. Seems very coincidental three days after the... Right. Jordan was never charged for Edna Shade's death. Hmm. It is surprising that anybody would rent this guy a, a, a room or that any woman would go along with him, but... Uh, right? Yeah. One would think that word have gotten on, around on the street, but you said earlier, when before we were, we were doing this, that he had the loot, right? Yeah, and when you're desperate, when you are the most unfortunate and yep. desperate and some predator comes along with loot and alcohol, Yep. you know, it's... Uh, Probably too attractive for a lot of individuals. Yep. Uh, The cops finally did have enough evidence to charge Gilbert Paul Jordan with the murder of Vanessa Lee Buckner and arrested him in his room at the Marble Arch Hotel. At trial, Jordan showed zero remorse. He claimed Vanessa Lee was alive when he had left the room that morning and he went to get more booze from his bootlegger. When he returned, Vanessa Lee was dead. 
Yes, they'd been drinking heavily together, but he did not force her to drink. Sober people wouldn't go out with me, so I didn't have much option, he explained. I didn't want to drink in my room all by myself. Oh, well, then it's totally okay that you killed people. Well, that did he? I think so. <laughs> so do I. I think I can't say uh, doesn't seem like first degree murder necessarily, but at the very least, many many a charges of manslaughter. Yep. At the trial, there was medical evidence that Vanessa Buckner died of acute alcohol poisoning. The mechanics of death were the inhalation of gastric contents into her air passages, followed by death through a failure to breathe. Her blood alcohol reading was 0.91%, as we mentioned, and she would have had to drink about 30 ounces of hard liquor over over a 12-hour period to reach that level. And so uh, aspiration uh, of stomach contents is the way a lot of alcoholics Mm -hmm. die, actually. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, Yep. Uh, Bon Scott from ACDC. Yep. It's on and on and on. You can look it up. Um, But, you know... Did he kill her? Guess what? The court convicted Jordan on manslaughter rather than first-degree murder, as although the Crown was able to prove Jordan was negligent in Vanessa Lee's death, they did not sufficiently prove that he had intended to kill her. Yep. So, and and maybe, I don't know, did he intend to kill them? I I think uh, my impression of him is... He didn't care. He, he Well, I was about to say those exact words. Yeah. He didn't care. Yeah. He it, just didn't care if that person lived or died. And His intent is to get you passed out drunk. Yeah. And do what he and wants. And do what he wants. Whether you live or die, he doesn't care. Didn't give a shit. No. You'd voluntarily drink this. Yeah. So, you know, that's in his mind. Yep. So Judge Bouk, uh at the trial said Jordan was a predator who used alcohol as his deadly instrument of choice. Yep. Gilbert Paul Jordan was sentenced to 15 years in jail. So here's some Finally. significant, significant jail time. Yeah. But uh, it's manslaughter. So 15 years on manslaughter is very significant. But mm. uh, he appealed that twice and it was reduced to six years. Uh, uh. Jordan was released from jail in 1994. He was placed on probation with a few stipulations. He must remain on Vancouver Island. He must avoid any licensed establishments in a specific, uh, specified area they called the Red Zone. Hmm. He was not to be in the company of any females where liquor was served. Uh, guess what? He followed these to a T. Uh, no. Oh. Jordan ignored most of his probationary conditions and kept on drinking and abusing women. Jordan moved to Victoria in February 2000 and caught the eye of police right away. I'm sure they knew he was coming. He tried and failed again to change his name as a legal loophole he wished to use closed. So I wonder why he's trying to change his name. It's like, only only nine women are dead. I'm going to make a fresh start. (laughs) Yeah. Good God. <sighs> this guy frustrated me, Scott. Yeah, it's highly understandable when you're uh, seeing death after death after death. After an incident on June 1st, 2000, Jordan was charged with sexual assault, negligence causing bodily harm, and administering a noxious substance, alcohol. 
These charges were stayed for lack of proof, and Jordan walked free again on October 19, 2000. On November 2, 2000, Jordan rented a room at the Port Renfrew Hotel, where he and another woman of indigenous heritage drank first at the bar, then in the room he'd rented. She eventually just wanted to leave. Jordan tried to bribe her with 20 bucks to stay, but she still wanted to go. Jordan was angry and tried to force her to get him to get her to stay with him. And hotel staff had to step in to help the woman. And Jordan was heard yelling after her to give his booze back. Was she, she wasn't carrying a bottle. She, I was going to ask that. No. So just like. Well, how was she supposed to give his booze back? Vomit everything? I don't know. Wow. Jordan was arrested on November 23rd, 2000 for the incidents on June 1st and November 2nd. I guess they had enough evidence now. Both breached his probation conditions. He was convicted of those breaches on April 16th, 2001, and was sent back to jail for another 15-month stint, to be followed by three years of probation with the same strict conditions. He continued to file appeals, because this guy didn't want to take any accountability for mm. what he was doing. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was a drunk. Yep. It, was, uh, it wasn't his fault, it was yeah. the booze. Yeah. He con uh, continued to file, file these appeals and was in and out of courtrooms and jails uh, for similar breaches of probation in the following years. In August of 2004, another woman almost died of alcohol poisoning in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. So he was in Saskatchewan. He was supposed to be in Vancouver Island. Yeah. Uh, so more, ta more jail time for Jordan, but also brief. Yeah. He returned to Vancouver Island on his release in 2005. And uh, on February 3rd of 2005, the Saanich Police Department, that's Saanich, uh, close to Victoria there. It's a nice area. It is very nice. Uh, they issued a bolo. Be on the lookout, that is. Jordan Gilbert Paul, age 73, is the subject of this alert. Jordan is 175 centimeters tall, or 5'9". He weighs uh, 79 kilograms, 174 pounds. He is partially bald with gray hair and gray goatee. He has blue eyes, wears glasses. Jordan is currently in the Victoria area, but has no fixed address. Jordan has significant criminal record, including manslaughter and indecent assault of a female, of a female. He uses alcohol to lure his victims. Jordan's target victim group is adult females. Jordan is subject to court-ordered conditions, including abstain absolutely from the consumption of alcohol, not to be in the company of female persons or persons in any place where alcohol is being served or otherwise consumed or possessed by persons or persons. If you observe the subject in any violation of these above conditions, please call the Sanish Police Department. So, mm. you know, he was continually in and out of jail for the last bit of his life. And then on July 7th, 2006... Gilbert Paul Jordan died alone in his room at the Friendly Inn, a hotel in Victoria, from cirrhosis of the liver. Surprise. Mm, wow. It's thought that perhaps hundreds of women had been binge drinking with Gilbert Paul Jordan while his murder spree went on between 1980 and 87. Wow. And he claimed to have had sex with more than 200 women over that period. Wow. Yep. Uh, that more didn't die is, is pretty much a miracle, and that nine did die is a tragedy. Yeah, hearing hearing two hundred women, it just it's uh, knowing his pattern and knowing how he uh, 
gets them so oh. intoxicated oh. that they're all going like this. this How thing, many like, of them had been assaulted by him and just didn't God. talk? I, I, like, I, I would have to imagine that hundreds, at, at least, at least seventy five percent, if not more, which yeah. probably is a, a, a very low estimate yep. that the, had been uh, abused and assaulted by him. These poor people. So, from Harriet Fox's book, The Alcohol Murders, the true story of uh, killer, serial killer, Gilbert Paul Jordan, Jordan never accepted responsibility, always minimizing his actions and denying he committed his crimes, saying, I'm not a criminal, but I've got a terrible criminal record because of booze. No, you've got a terrible criminal record because you're a terrible human being. Right. So if you've never heard of Gilbert Paul Jordan, you're not alone. Uh, a lot of people have not. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott hadn't heard of him before we did this. Yep. Uh, Jordan preyed mainly on vulnerable Indigenous women around downtown Vancouver's uh, notorious downtown east side, uh, which we mentioned earlier. Yep. Indigenous women have been socially, politically, and economically marginalized in Canada and frequently subject to violence and um, murdered at a rate of at least three times higher than other women in Canada, which is huge. Yeah. Racism inherent in the Canadian policing and legal system helped Jordan to go relatively unnoticed. The people he was killing were perceived as less important. Yeah, so frustrating. Germans have a derogatory term for people considered less than human. It's Untermensch. Uh, the trans- exact translation is underman, and it means an inferior person or a subhuman. We all know how that line of thinking went for many people in Europe in the 1930s and 40s. Sadly, we do. Yeah, of whom I share some heritage with. Yeah. Uh, Jordan's crimes happened before public. the public was outraged by the 49 murders of mostly indigenous women by Robert Willie Picton. We all know that guy, a pig farmer from Port Coquitlam. After more public outcry um, over Picton's crimes in 2005, British Columbia's infamous Highway of Tears, a 720-kilometer-long stretch of road between Prince George and Prince Rupert, got its own RCMP task force called EPANA. It was set up to investigate the 21 either murdered or missing, mostly indigenous women along that road spanning 1969 until 2011. So, you know, like, it's unbelievable what we've seen over the years as far as uh, uh, the more I do this podcast and the more I write and the more I research, I see... uh, this country that we live in has has like a horribly racist opinion of of indigenous people. Yep. Yep. And uh and honestly like me doing this has has changed the way I think about about indigenous folks. Yeah. Like holy crap, I I didn't realize that uh how how desperate this problem is until I really started digging into it. Yeah, I'm unfortunate that uh, through uh, a lot of things I photograph, I've become, I, I have a, a good chunk of Indigenous friends, and through social media, they've made me very aware. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've become very aware mm. uh, of the stats yeah. uh, that they have had to suffer. Yeah, for through, sure. And it, it's really, it's really, it, it is our country. Yeah. yeah, as much as I like to say that we 
you know, don't have that kind of, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, it's embarrassing ostracizing or, or treatment of, of, uh, certain citizens. It, it's there and it it's sad is. and it angers me. I don't think we'll ever cover Robert Picton. I honestly don't. I, I, don't, I, I yeah. don't think we have anything to add to the story. Yeah. Uh, Christy from Canadian True Crime Podcast recently did a four-part, uh, uh, four-episode uh, coverage of oh, that. Oh, wow. That's great. It's Yeah, she she put a lot of effort into yeah. that. Oh, so, it's a huge case. Yeah, for sure. So we'll link to that. And as well, the last podcast on the left, uh, they were here for a live show at the rickshaw where you... Oh, were they? Yeah, where you did your, your photographing the other night. Good. and uh, Oh, I wasn't photographing. Or were you were yeah. attending. Okay, but... Um, they were given Stevie Cameron's book on the farm about Willie Picton and they read it and were really interested in the case. So they also did a multi episode, uh, coverage of of the case as well. So these two podcasts have covered the case to death. Like they, I don't need to, I don't think we need to get into it. No, 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 no. I mean, even though I remember, uh, when all that was going on, uh, Willie Picton's farm was behind the... Uh, the Home Depot uh, that Carol and I used to shop at when we lived in Maple Ridge. And one time we went to the Home Depot when all this was going on, and we didn't realize that it was there. And we noticed all these news trucks and everything Uh around uh, the Home Depot. And and we walked around the back, and I asked one of the the news folks, well, what's going on? And then I looked, and it's like, holy crap, that's what I've been seeing on the news. That's Willie Picton's farm right there. Yeah, but I, and I agree though. I don't think we need to do our own uh, podcast on it. But I mean, you know, I'm sure it'll come up in conversation. Yeah. It'll be referenced, you know, often and whatnot. But uh, I do want to do uh, the Highway of Tears, uh, yeah, or at least part of it. Uh, Cody Legibakov, who was a serial killer uh, yep. along the Highway of Tears, yep. I know his uh, uh, uncle. Yeah. Larry, you've, you've mentioned to me. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I kind of want to cover that case because I've always found that fascinating. Um, as far as the Highway of Tears itself, like there's so many uh, speculations yeah. as to who it was. Like there yeah. was a serial killer in the states, and his name escapes me at the moment. Yeah, uh, but um, he admitted to killing women in Canada, and he was a truck driver yeah. along that route. I actually, uh, a friend of mine who is deceased, and uh, uh, he <clears throat> he worked for uh, a bit before working with me with the RCMP, and his job was uh, he worked on the task force for uh, Highway of Tears. Like his job was to digitize hmm. the reports and everything. Was that Kevin? Yes. Oh yeah. He digitized reports and everything like that, but he he would he. He would, you, when you'd ask him about it, his eyes would be like, yeah. Yeah. yeah but he, he would never say anything. So Canada is taking steps to uh, uh, to better the treatment of Indigenous women and girls. Um, they've set up a national task force um, hmm. uh, called the uh, Independent National Inquiry uh, of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, including... Uh, two-spirited, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered, and queer. Uh, they set that up on December 8th, 2015. That's when the co- the government announced it anyway. Mm-hmm. And two-spirited, I don't know if people know what that is, but apparently that's uh, a Native person who believes that they are both male and female. 
Oh, okay. So they have their own, their own. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's like oh, a transgender. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to. Please don't send me tweets about this because I don't fully understand it. Um, but <laughs> I'm I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just don't understand it. Yeah, I think it's actually. I, I really like the the phrase two spirit. spirit. Yeah, I kind of yeah. like that too. Yeah. Um, so we'll link to uh, the inquiry's interim report in our show notes uh, from the report entitled Our Women and Girls Are Sacred. Uh, they chose seven values to guide their work at the National Inquiry. They are honesty, open-mindedness, openness, inclusivity, compassion, courage, fairness, and respect. And these values guide every decision that they make. And some of the inquiry's initial recommendations include a rejection of the colonial frameworks that allow for this kind of systemic racism. A uh, yes. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. I, that really hit me when I was reading about yeah. that. A spirit of reconciliation, healing, education, and justice, as well as it calls for the restoration of the dignity and respect of what it calls our stolen sisters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to read in that report, and it's pretty excellent. Mm. Um Perhaps if Jordan's crimes were taken more seriously and investigated more thoroughly, the later crimes committed by Robert Picton and the Predators along the Highway of Tears may have been avoided, at least in part. But it was a different, less enlightened time in Canadian history. Yeah. Residential schools, etc., etc. Yeah. Regardless, Canada is making steps, however halting, to ensure this does not happen again. Marie Clements, a playwright in Canada here, wrote a play called The Unnatural and Accidental Women, and it highlights what the women went through at Gilbert uh, Paul Jordan's hands, Mm. pouring booze down their throats and watching them die. So much of the research for this episode came from actual court documents and by way of Harriet Fox's book that I mentioned earlier, The Alcohol Murders. And we'll link to that on our show notes on Amazon, so you can pick it up for yourself if you want. So, yeah, that's episode 15. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. A case I'd never heard of. Yeah. Or a, a uh, criminal I'd never heard of. It, but he was he was pretty prolific in, as far as criminality went. Yeah. Like, he was a nonstop criminal from the time he was 18 years old until he passed yeah. away uh, at 74, I believe. I think it said 73 uh, yeah. or something. But, yeah, uh, yeah, these, well, all murder cases are powerful and uh, uh, sad. But I really, uh, I, I do get a sense of anger when... Uh, the less fortunate are preyed upon. You know, that whole... Uh, I, when I was down in that neighborhood yesterday, I was one of the people I was with, I was talking about how I actually feel a lot safer. Like, I've gone walking down that yeah that, that street at 2 in the morning with a lot of money and camera gear on me, and I actually felt, I felt fine despite being surrounded by uh, less fortunate people. And the reality of it is, is they're, they do more, they're more harm to themselves than they are anybody else. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just sad to see that exploited for a criminal activity or, or anything. Yeah. It's frustrating for me. Absolutely. So that's it for this episode. 
Before we go, we want to give some shout outs to some new Patreon patrons, which I'm amazed. It keeps growing. Um, thank you to Ashley from Charlottetown, originally from my hometown in Bridgewater. Much appreciated, Ashley. Uh, she and I did not know each other there, but but it's kind of cool that uh, somebody knows the places that I'm talking about when I mention Bridgewater. Yeah, super, super thank you, Ashley. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Andrea W. from Stony Creek, Ontario, a.k.a. Carol's cousin, Andrea. <laughs> Much appreciated, Andrea. Uh, we She is a, a lover of, of all things crime and criminal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, she's kind of our tar- target audience in a way. We, we appreciate you, Andrea. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you to Red P. from Derbyshire in all the way in the UK. Man, I love hearing that. I love hearing overseas yeah, right? listeners that anybody is listening. Yeah. Um, thank so, you to Jennifer Y. from Edmonton. Uh, I guess we've been forgiven there. Uh, <laughs> also, the guy who told me to F off last week, yeah. he was kidding. I, I figured it He and much. I yeah. had, had a really good conversation, and yeah. uh, it turns out that he's a pretty cool guy. I would have And I'm, yeah. I'm glad I didn't react too terribly to it, because I felt kind of like, hmm, I wonder if this guy's trolling me a little bit. Yeah. And he was. Yeah. So, so, oh, no. so good, good on you. Good to hear. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, thanks to Stephanie B. And her last name, I'm not going to say what it was. It sounds like it's Danish or something. So maybe she's from Denmark. Hmm. Pretty cool. Thank you so much for your pledges. We really appreciate it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Really, so, really means a lot. So I'm planning my first episode of uh, my first mini episode um, for Patreon coming up. Uh, it looks like I should be ready to go maybe next week. Ooh. But I'm doing something uh, uh, with the 36 Times podcast from Nova Scotia in early March. And they're going to be, we'll be co-releasing something on our Patreons, uh, which is going to be kind of cool. Very awesome. Yeah, so keep your peepers peeled for that. If you want to donate, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkputin or send us some money, donut money, at PayPal at our email address, darkputinpodcast at gmail.com. Any uh, $50,000 takers yet? Nobody gave us $50,000. I oh I'm sh- I'm shocked. I keep taking I'm, I keep taking out expensive loans and stuff, assuming that as long as they're not in more, my name, I don't give a shit what you do. Yeah, you're probably gonna need to give a shit then. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. Forged Mike, Mike Brown. Yeah, forged documents. Yeah, you, you leave the E off though. No. I added an extra E. <laughs> Brownie. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know. Anyway, you can check out our website at www.darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. If you have any notes, story ideas, questions, comments, or just want to say hi, you can reach us via email at, as I mentioned, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us an internet voicemail from your PC at darkpoutine.com slash message, and we'll play it on a future episode. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and just search for Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. Especially fun is our closed Facebook group. We're having tons of yeah. tons of fun there. Lots of people are joining. It's awesome. Yeah, we're active there too, and you can meet us and some other cool listeners. Uh, cool listeners who uh, will introduce you to other really great podcasts as well. We have like a lot of other podcast hosts there. We have... Uh, Beck and Tyler from Minds of Madness are there, and um, 
and Erica from Southern Fried Crew uh, True Crime. I always say that Crew Crime. <laughs> why? Why do I stutter at that one? And uh, and Jamie from the Murderish podcast is there. Yeah. Jessica from the Asian Madness podcast is there. Listen yeah, to me, I, all these shout outs I'm giving I, these. I'd say go to, you know join our group more so for them than us. They're far more. All the all the fans yeah. there are far more interesting. Everybody's than pretty entertaining. Yeah. Well. I'm I'm entertaining. Scott is not. Oh no! I'm glaring. That's a, that, I'm glaring. That's a glare. I'm hilarious, and the world knows it. Sure, hilarious. You can subscribe to us on hilarious. your favorite podcast directory, like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or at our host Podbean. Hilarious. Hilarious. Lots of you have left five-star reviews and comments on iTunes. We appreciate each and every one. We are still at 4.98 <laughs> stars out of five. So that one damn four-star. It makes me think, like, have I? I don't know if I've even reviewed. You, you, you have not. What the hell? Okay, I got to get on that. Exactly. I, uh, I'll give it a two. <laughs> don't do it. Every little bit helps. 2.5. I like the, the half is Scott, the Scott half. Thanks for letting us fill your ears with <laughs> some more dark poutine. And don't be forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Have an awesome night, folks. Bye. Showcase. You were in a concentration camp in World War II. I was a young man, locked up in a terrible place. Based on the international best-selling book. But I found something there. Someone. We must keep living. Whatever it takes. The Tattooist of Auschwitz. All new Sundays on Showcase. Stream on Stack TV.